What is that? My glasses. That's your glasses? I'll leave them alone then. <laughs> Jerry Weaver, alcoholic. Cheers. Cheers. We're dates July the 2nd, 1989, and I'm a member of this group. It's good to be here. I've been asked to give a brief history of this group. I know y'all are thrilled about this. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm happy to do it. I appreciate actually being, being asked to do it. Real quick, 2007, I moved back here from Cleveland, Ohio, with the idea of starting a group. And my idea, I moved to Apex, and I wanted to start a group in Apex. Apex was full of groups already that were doing well. I had pinpointed a spot out in West Cary, North Apex, to do a meeting, and a group called the Foxhall Group started, like, immediately. <laughs> Some of y'all remember That's that job. group? Yeah. So that shot my plan down. <laughs> I joined back up at Willow Springs, which had been my home group before I moved to Cleveland, and stayed there for a couple of years, and another member of the Willow Springs group named Nancy Robinson, me and her started talking about starting a, a, a new group, and we started looking around in Fuquay, Apex, Holly Springs. We couldn't really find anywhere that would let us meet. We weren't trying real hard. Around that same time, the Holly Springs group moved to its Apex, Cary, Kildare Farm, however you want to. But they moved out of Holly Springs. So we saw an opportunity. We contacted all the churches in Holly Springs. We couldn't find anywhere to let us meet. The Methodist Church, where we ended up meeting, turned us down pretty quickly. And the guy actually told me that they had had a bad, ex some of the trustees had had a bad experience with Alcoholics Anonymous. So we kept looking. And a few weeks later, the guy from the Methodist Church called me back and said that the congregation had been praying about it and that they didn't like the way that they had treated us initially and that they wanted us to come in and talk to the trustees. So it was basically an interview. <laughs> Me and Nancy showed up, and we were dressed up, and I think they were expecting a bunch of bums to show up. I don't know what. And uh, anyway, we impressed them, and they let us meet. So they agreed to let us meet. We started off, our first meeting was January the 12th, 2010. Our, uh, our intent and our idea was to have a group that was structured that focused on solution, but was not rigid. We both came from kind of rigid groups, and um, I was done with that. Um, I guess you could argue we're rigid now, but I don't think so. <laughs> so we're not. Look, see, you're laughing. So, but that was the idea, was to have a, a group that was still kind of fun, and people felt comfortable being there, and they could be themselves. So that was the idea. And uh, we had our first meeting on January 12th, 2010, there were, there's a book here with all the email communications with the church and other stuff for anybody that wants to see it one day, um, but I've got some notes here. There were 16 people at the first meeting. Five people joined the group that night. Four of those people have stayed sober since that meeting, and uh, one of them showed improvement. The, uh, <laughs> Um, we argued over the name of the group. I wanted the group name to be Fourth Dimension. And Nancy shot that down. I ran it by some other people that helped us, and we ended up coming up with uh, There is a Solution. 
we did not get our name from the reading in the book, just for, clar <laughs> just for clarification. Um, the topic of the first meeting that night was step, step one. Um, our first meeting list, which was a few weeks after we started, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. After about two weeks, we had eleven members. That's on the phone list here. The group started to grow. We added a second meeting two years later, the beginners meeting, and we started meeting on Tuesday and Thursday. And the rest is is history. But the group has uh, we've always been involved in all aspects of service. We've always uh, honored the seventh tradition from day one, and we've never, uh, never, never been without. Um, and we outgrew the space there. There's an email communication here. For, some of y'all would be interested in this. Uh, that was a, about a year after we started meeting when we started begging for bigger space. And as y'all know, it's, it, was a, it was tough to find space, but we, we moved here, what, January. So um, here we are. Thanks. 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 Madeline Alcoholic. Hey, Madeline. Um, I'm going to introduce Keith. I, uh, but I do want to add one thing to what Jerry just said. When I first met Jerry, I was not a home group member at There's a Solution, and I gave him such a hard time for having such a long group name. <laughs> <laughs> does it have to be that many words <laughs> and then here we are um it is i uh but we abbreviate tis anyway um so uh keith is here because um i went to unity day this past year uh this past june and um, there was a couple there were a couple of speakers you know they had enough time to speak and everything at the very end uh, Keith is our Area 51 archivist, and Area 51, for anybody who doesn't know, um, doesn't always apply this way, but for us in North Carolina, it's the state of North Carolina. So Area 51, that's, that's, it's all of North Carolina. So he's the archivist for the whole state. Um, and uh, um, he had a little 20-minute window, right, a little segment right at the end of Unity Day where he, you know, talked about our our local history and the first two speakers were fine I mean, they were good but you know I was like okay this is great and then Keith got up there and I was just like so interested and locked in and I was like I want to keep hearing more and more and I was like you have to come to our group so that's why he's here tonight um <clears throat> but um I've known Keith for a long time I think I probably met him right when I moved here in 2009 and um I can tell you he's been sober for a real long time. Um, he's been involved in so many different levels and branches of service to and with Alcoholics Anonymous. A um, lot of involvement with uh, North Carolina Young People NAA, Nikki Paw. He um, has done a lot of work with Alateen. Um, a lot of work with his home group, a lot of work with area, intergroup, district, all of it. So true service nerd, um, definitely well, well qualified to be our archivist. Um, so with that, welcome Keith. Thanks, Mad Dog. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, nurse, they, they put me up to it. Nurse Ratchet, Mad Dog, thank you for the introduction. Appreciate it. 
Hey, uh, everybody, I'm alcoholic. My name is Keith Matthews. Uh, my sobriety date is June 7th, 1999, and my home group is the Morning Meditation Group. We meet every day at 6.30 on Zoom or in person at the Triangle Alano Club, and it's a, it's a great home group. We, we do a little reading from As Bill Sees It or the Daily Reflection, and we meditate for a few minutes, and then we all share what came to us uh, during our quiet time. Um, yeah, and, and I am... Uh, I do love general service, and, and um, I do love the connection I have with different people, one-on-one, um, 12-step -on -one, work, or at the general service level. And some people talk about general service being um, the politics of AA. And um, I really, what I've come to believe is that it's, we have a primary purpose to help the still sick and suffering alcoholic, and the general service that we do provides us the tools that we need, um, pamphlets the big book, um, and all the different things that I've used over the years to help other people get and stay sober and other people have used to help me get and stay sober. So um, that's why I love general service work. I will say, um, honestly, I'm pretty burnt out. The thing I'm doing right now is a six-year commitment, um, and I've got a lot going on. And I, I do think, just as a warning, that, yes, I've done a lot of service work, but um, you can do service work alcoholically as well. <laughs> and, and I really believe that I've... I've done that, and I've gotten like um, where I got away from recovering and was more focused on doing all of that service work, and it kept me from recovering. And it, it was pointed out to me about nine years ago by my Al-Anon sponsor, and now my new Al-Anon sponsor is telling me the same thing. So um, <laughs> January 1st, I'm done as the area archivist, and I'm looking forward to getting into uh, more of the one-on-one 12-step work with, uh, with other men, for sure. So... AA history. Uh, when I when I talk about AA history um, and I talk about my my history, I think that um, we're both on a spiritual journey. AA and its history on our spiritual journey, just like you and I are on a spiritual journey through through this the twelve steps process. Right. This is a process of letting go, first coming in and letting go of the idea that I can think like a normal person, letting go of the obsession to drink, and then after the obsession has been lifted. Um, letting go of whatever comes up. And for me, it's my thinking, but it's a spiritual journey. Um, one of the, the first things that I learned uh, in AA, um, I, and it was taught by a gentleman named Tom. He, uh, he was a guy that showed up at our home group. Uh, he was a heavy set man and he had, had mental issues and he, uh, he was heavy set. He wore his belt was like up to here and he sat down and um, at the beginning of the month, his medication, he had his medication, he had money to buy his medication. By the end of the month, he didn't have it anymore. And so he would, you know, he was shaking, his coffee was spilling out of his cup, and he would just say a bunch of stuff that I just didn't. Uh, so I went to my sponsor, I'm like, hey, this Tom guy, um, you know, what's wrong with him? And, and he said, hey, can you, you know, um, listen to the, the message, don't listen to the messenger. Listen to what he's saying and see what you can get out of it instead of judging him for who he is. And I started doing that with Tom and I learned so much from him. And I've, I feel like it's the same thing with um, people's stories, every share that people have and in, in when they come to your home group on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, and then the same thing with AA history, like listen to uh, whatever it is that's being talked about in AA history, just go to like, hey, this is really boring, I don't like history. There's some message in everything, part of our AA history that I feel like, um, I can learn from. And so I kind of try to approach it the same way with, with AA history. My first big uh, spiritual experience in AA 
was when I uh, was actually the first meeting and uh, we got up and we held hands and I felt this sense of peace I'd never felt before. And I never would have told you that I had the spiritual experience that night for years. I didn't know that I did. Um, but that was my first little spiritual experience um, and on my journey when it, when it came to AA. The other one was when, um, when I left the meetings, uh, I couldn't stop obsessing about alcohol. And um, my sponsor, Scotty, gave me this. We, st- we had a relapse prevention plan, but it started with, God, please remove my obsession and direct my attention to what you'd have me be. Right? So... Scotty tells me this one night, I think it was like a Tuesday night over at Gateway, I leave, that all over mind body obsession hit me again, right? Like a wet blanket. Like I'm walking out to my car and I'm like, I, I want to drink. So I do this prayer and um, for the first time ever, that obsession was gone. Like I tried so hard with my willpower and my thinking for years and it just never had any effect on it and, and it was gone. Um, and then, like 20 minutes later, it came back, and I didn't think I should do the prayer again. So I went back to Scotty the next day and said, hey, it, it, didn't, it doesn't work. What, you know, what did what, you give me? And he said, well, how many times did you do the prayer? I said, well, once. And he said, well, you might have to do it more than once, you dumbass. So um, that, was, that was kind of like the first thing. And then there's um, one of the first things. The, I'm going to do like a light AA history, but I, I talk, like to talk about the Big Bang moments like what what are what was when did AA start right like what's the big bang what's the moment what's the thing that happened the spiritual thing that happened um when AA started and I like to go back to um a man named Roland this is before AA started a man named Roland Hazard um was pretty well off and and uh he couldn't quit drinking so he had enough money to go over to Switzerland and hang out with this uh psychologist named Carl Jung right and he hung out with him for a whole year and for that year Carl Jung got him uh, sober, and he stayed sober for that whole year. Roland leaves Carl Jung in Zurich, Switzerland, and is on a train in Paris trying to come back to the States, and he's drunk. And he, he calls, uh, he con- well, he couldn't call him, but he contacts Carl Jung and says, hey, you know, I thought, um, thought we were okay, but um, I'm drunk again. And, and Carl Jung told him that he thought he was kind of a hopeless case, but that he's seen certain people that if they have this spiritual experience or a spiritual awakening, um, it releases that grip that alcoholism has on him, and that was his only chance. And so he goes back to the States, and he gets part, becomes part of this thing called the Oxford Group, and he learns about the Oxford Group's solution to, to not drinking. Is that, when, uh, is that when AA started? I don't know. But the next thing... Um, Roland Hazard knows that he has to help other people if he wants to stay sober. He learns that in the Oxford group. There's this guy named Ebby Thatcher um, that uh, was drinking. He painted the side of his barn, and some birds came and crapped on the side of his barn, so he got a shotgun out and started shooting <laughs> at the birds and gets arrested. Um, and and uh, Roland Hazard shows up to take him away from being put in jail and being put away and says, I think we can help him. Um, and he starts sharing with Evie Thatcher the solution that he's learned in the Oxford group. Um, and then eventually Evie Thatcher um, has his friend named Bill Wilson, who's a hopeless drunk. And he goes over and he meets with Bill uh, one afternoon. And uh, there's a book that um, I really enjoy. It's a new history book. And it's called The Writing of the Big Book. And in this book, it uh, talks about Bill Wilson tells the story about him and Evie Thatcher meeting. Evie coming over and, and explaining to Bill, a drunk Bill Wilson, 
um, how he's gotten sober. Um, in this book, you get to hear Ebby Thatcher's version of the story, and it's completely different than Bill Wilson's, and it's really it's really interesting. So the writing of the Bill book, uh, writing of the Big Book, by a guy named William Schauberg. And if you're interested uh, in this book or what's in it, every Saturday Bill Schauberg meets with a bunch of people on Zoom all around the world, and they read a chapter out of this book, and then the author of this book talks about the history more. And so if you want that information, um, you know, after the meeting, let me know. But the way that Bill Schauberg um, dispels all these myths and these things that were passed down from mouth-to-mouth about AA history that were inaccurate is he, he used all the letters that people wrote to each other back then um, to like dispel what people said. And, and he did a lot of really good research. And so this, this, this history book for me is like the best one that comes uh, to mind. Um, and then after Abby meets with Bill, um, Bill goes to um, a hospital called Towns Hospital. And he has his, he's, he gets to the point where uh, he hears the doctor talking about, you know, he's going to be a wet brain and, and be useless for the rest of his life. And the next morning, he's like, okay, God, I, I need your help. And he has this white light experience. Um, he has that spiritual experience that Carl Jung was talking to um, Roland Hazard about. And, and, he, uh, and then he talks about how he never wanted to drink again after that. He, that grip of alcoholism was, like, lifted from him. And the next day, he read something called uh, Varieties of a Religious Experience. So, that, like, he had, he was totally drunk. He asked God for help. He has his white light experience. And the next day, like, I don't know about you, but the first day not drinking, I was pretty fuzzy. Um, and this Varieties of Religious Experience was not an easy thing to read. But he read that, and that the spiritual experience um, part of Bill's story became very important to him. He became obsessed with it, and there's a lot more about that. But after um, he has this white light experience, he stays in New York. He tries uh, using what Evie taught him from the Oxford group, uh, and it was one of the big things was getting helping other people get and stay sober if you want to stay sober. And um, so there's a lot more to that part of the story. But he goes to Bill Wilson goes to Ohio for a business uh, trip, and um, just to make a long story short, he meets a guy named Dr. Bob. And um, the reason that he met Dr. Bob is because after his business venture didn't go very well, he wanted to drink, and he knew that um, he remembered what Evie told him, and he knew that it, he needed to find somebody that he could help if he wanted to stay sober. So he finds this guy named Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob says, you know, um, I'll meet with you for 15 minutes and end up being like a five- or six-hour meeting. But is, is, that, is that when AA started? Um, you know, I don't know. Um, and then there was... Uh, there was what they called the flying blind period. So this is like before we have a big book. This is before we have our steps. They know they have a solution, but they don't know really uh, what it is or how it works or why it works. So um, Bill's writing, the way that they wrote the big book was that it was Bill Wilson, Ruth Hawk, and, and a guy, um, Hank, Parker. Hank Parkhurst, that were all working together, and Bill would write on a piece of loose-leaf paper what he wanted to have to be a chapter of the big book. He'd bring it into the office the next day. Ruth Hawk and Hank Parkers would look at it, and they would decide if that should be you know, what it was. And he started by writing his story. Um, but they, that's how they wrote it. Um, and one, in one of those sessions, one of those nights, when Bill Wilson's writing on this, this yellow loose-leaf paper, um, he writes the steps. The steps come to him, and he writes the steps. And so now we have like 12 steps. Is that when AA started? Um, is that one of our, you know, is that our big 
big bang moment when he actually, in one of those writing periods, uh, wrote what the steps were. Um, I don't know. I'll let you all decide what, what started, but I just those are different things, just real quick, very fast, like uh, beginning of AA history. What I will say is that um, back then we didn't have, we had telephones, but not like we do now. Uh, we didn't have the internet. What we had were letters, right? So when people wanted to talk to each other or help each other or figure stuff out, they would write a letter. And I, I really believe those letters um, were our first piece of uh, general service material that we, that we used to um, help each other get and stay sober. Um, so I'm going to talk about letters as the first part of our, um, and so how did this work? Like, okay, yeah, we use letters, but how? Like, how did that work? Most of the time, um, we were trying to raise money and awareness about the solution. They were so excited about how they were helping people get and stay sober. Um, they wanted to do a few things. They wanted to write a book. They wanted to start AA hospitals, and they wanted to have what I'm calling AA evangelists. They could go around and spread the solution. Um, so they, but they needed money. Um, so... Um, People would uh, get interested in it. They might write an article about it, talk about it on the radio. And every time they talked about it, they would say, if you want more information, write this P.O. box. Uh, and most of the people who read were not drunks, because you know, if you were drunk, what, why would you read an article about you know, alcoholism, right? Uh, or listen to a radio show. I'd be more interested in getting drunk. But the people that did hear it were their loved ones. So like a lot of the people that heard about this new solution, Alcoholics Anonymous, um, would write to whatever they said and say, hey, you know, I've got a loved one who's um, sick uh, and I need help. What do I do? And they would write back and um, they would say, here is our solution. Here are some pamphlets before the big book came out. After the big book came out, like, here's some pamphlets. And do you want to buy a big book? Um, and I think it was like $2.50 if you started a, a AA group and three fifty if you didn't, if you were just an individual. But um, that's how we started like spreading the solution. Like it was, there were people in New York and there were people in Ohio, groups of people, but uh, mainly all of the public relations that we did at the time about our new solution. People would write to New York, the general service office, and ask for help, and they would get information back. Um, and when you wrote the general service office in New York and said, "Hey, I need help," they would write you back and say, "This is our solution." And by the way, you're the first person from you know Carrie that's ever written to us. Um, will you be our contact? If anyone else, please start a group of AA, and this is how. And if anyone else from your area writes to us, can we give them your contact information um, so you can help them and uh, you know start a group? And that's that's kind of how it it all, it all spread. Um, I'm going to talk about one of the one of the letters that um, one of the letters one of the that's a part of our big book is in the chapter of the doctor's opinion, uh, and I'll. I use the doctor's opinion when I'm working with newcomers. That's one of the first things I have a newcomer read so I can, so they can identify with how alcoholism is in the different types of alcoholics. That's one of the first things. But that letter that's in the doctor's opinion was actually something that um, Bill um, had Dr. Silkworth write. Um, and I'm going to just set the stage a little bit. But there's something that Dr. Silkworth talked about, um, and he called it right thinking. Um, so it's early 1930s, alcoholism is a heavily debated social issue, but unfortunately there was no real cure or solutions for alcoholism. Instead, there were like these quick quack solutions that no one trusted or, and that had not been, they'd been proven ineffective for any sort of long-term sobriety. Kind of like, I think now, like we have like the diet stuff now, like, you know, all these different diets, these fad diets that come out, nobody really trusts them, but they, they try them and 
Um, so Bill uh, had a very important figure helping him uh, add legitimacy to our yet unproven solution to the alcohol problem. And this was a doctor specializing in alcoholics, uh, alcoholism. And um, in the 1930s, Bill came under the care of uh, a person who Bill came to call the little doctor who loved drunks. Um, and his name was Dr. William Silkworth. And a few things about Dr. Silkworth, he, uh, he, he first introduced the idea that alcoholism was a disease. So back then, uh, no one thought that alcoholism was a disease, an obsession of the mind, allergy of the body. And once Bill had his transforming experience at Towns Hospital, I talked about earlier the white light experience under the care of Dr. Silkworth, um, Bill left the hospital and followed Dr. Silkworth's counsel to work with other drunks. Uh, unfortunately, uh, he wasn't able to, to sober up a single drunk in the, the first six months or so. And this is where Dr. Silkworth proved himself uh, more of a friend of AA when he advised Bill to stop preaching to alcoholics. Um, and Bill was also deceased trying to sell alcoholics on the Oxford Group concepts of absolute honesty. Um, and Dr. Silkworth advised Bill to talk uh, to other alcoholics about his experience with his obsession with and and that it condemned him to drink and the physical sensitivity or allergy of the body that condemns them to go mad if they keep on drinking instead of him like talking about religious stuff or the Oxford movement um, the sage advice set the, the stage for Bill his first meeting with Dr. Bob that I talked about earlier uh, in that meeting which Dr. Bob had envisioned as a 15 minute courtesy call lasted all night and into the following morning and that long talk started the miracle of one alcoholic talking to another and the beginnings of our fellowship. And then fortunately for us, uh, Bill and Dr. Bob didn't stop at the recovery stage of their prospective uh, programs. Otherwise, we wouldn't be, be here today. I wouldn't be standing in front of you and we all wouldn't be helping each other, you know, get and stay sober today. Um, and then at this point in our history, Bill and Dr. Bob and quite a few drunks uh, wanted to spread their solution to many uh, suffering alcoholics as quickly as possible. And one idea was to write a book that outlined um, how it works, like there is a solution. Um, by the way, I can never remember the name of y'all's home group, so I always say Jerry Weaver's group, and then like everyone's like, oh yeah, I know what, I know what that is. <laughs> I, and that's how it was back in early A too. If, uh, in Los Angeles, it was Chuck's group or, or John's group. That's how they knew the difference. But anyway, Jerry Weaver's There's a Solution group. Um, that's how it, cause I can never remember what the name of this group is for some reason. Anyway... Um, we needed money back then for, for the big undertaking of the, like I said, the big book, the, the hospitals, the evangelists. Um, so Bill and others went into this fundraising mode and they, 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 and Hank Parkhurst was a big part of this. He's somebody that, in our history, um, a lot of people who made a significant uh, contribution to AA at the beginning or even out throughout our history, for some reason, if they get drunk, everyone kind of like discounts what they did. Oh, they didn't stay sober, so uh, let's not, but Hank Parkhurst, he did get drunk, and he died very soon after um, the big book, like in the early 50s, I think, is when Hank died. And um, a lot of people discount his contribution, but he was huge and, and fundamental in us getting the big book started and whatnot. Um, anyway, so they went into fundraising, fundraising mode. Bill would set up appointments with prospective donors. At the meeting, he produced the Dr. Silkworth letter, the one that's a part of um, uh, the doctor's opinion, to show them um, that this doctor who specialized in curing alcoholics was behind the solution that Bill was proposing. Um, and then Bill would use the letter from Dr. Silkworth, or later part of this, to become the chapter of Doctor's Opinion, which I already talked about. Um, Dr. Silkworth and Towns Hospital. Now here, 
here's where our kind of local, I'm going to kind of morph into our local history. Um, Towns Hospital helped a gentleman named R.K. Wilkes from Wadesboro, North Carolina, um, get sober. And I think Wadesboro is just outside of Charlotte on the way to the beach, right? That's, anyway, um, that's the part of North Carolina he was from. He goes up to New York, this guy named R.K. Wilkes. He gets sober. After his treatment at Towns Hospital, he returns to North Carolina and he settles in Wadesboro. In February of 1950, R.K. wrote a letter to Dr. Silkworth inviting him to speak at a meeting in Wadesboro. And Dr. Silkworth had to decline, but he wanted to uh, impart his wisdom to R.K. and his newly formed AA group. So on April 7, 1950, Dr. Silkworth penned a letter to R.K. Wilkes in Wadesboro uh, entitled Right Thinking. Um, so this is Dr. Silkworth now. I'm reading what he wrote. What we sometimes too lightly speak of as right thinking seems to be the essential to sobriety. Unselfishness, humility, kindness, patience, good temper, generosity, sincerity, and above all, what is the religion of AA? Love of your fellow child of God. That's, that's, this, these are Dr. Silkworth's words. What a difficult task for all of us when we try to use some of these from day to day. And it is only from day to day that we can succeed. We can have faith and hope, but the greatest of these is love. When Bill made the moral issue the principle of AA, he saved himself and many thousands of others. In my opinion, nothing does more to disturb society than alcoholism. Therefore, it is a moral issue. For embittering life, for breaking up homes, withering up men and women, and sheer gratuitous misery producing power, alcoholism stands alone. And again, this is not me. This is, I'm just reading Dr. Silkworth's words, all right? How does one start to acquire right thinking? Why, only by first admitting where we are wrong. Take a moral inventory as the four-step demands. How can one ever acquire right thinking if they're thinking wrong? Surely you cannot be right and wrong at the same time. Many readily admit that they are wrong, but then bring up accentuating circumstances, thus unalterably confusing the issue. To many of us, the faults of our friends are the only things that make life worth, worth, worth living. To many of us, the faults of our friends are the only things that make life worth living. To acquire the essential change of thinking, they must admit where they are morally wrong in their thinking without regard to circumstances. Remain with AA always, my friends. It is the magnet which will magnetize you in turn. It will give you a permanently attractive force to draw others to you in need of help. This is the inevitable effect. This is Alcoholics Anonymous. So... Um, I'm back to like my um, my little Tom story. Like, what can I what can I see from this 1950 letter from this guy I've never met before, Doctor Silkworth, and how he's helping Wade, right? Or, I'm sorry, R.K. Wilkes in Wadesboro. Um, so, personal experience on January 7th of this year, I got a call from uh, from a worried employee at a dollar store in Davison, Michigan. Um, she told me that my mom was there, and my mom had filled up three shopping carts and was trying to purchase um, $700 worth of merchandise um, at a dollar store. Uh, and the check my mom was using bounced, and my mom was acting confused, and they were worried about, about her well-being. Um, that started a process of me becoming her 24-7 caretaker. She was diagnosed with dementia, um, and I moved to Michigan to be with her. And uh, I was really overcome by how the disease of dementia had affected my mom. It was, it was really hard to see the changes in her. 
uh, the strong woman that held our family together through the devastating effects of the disease of alcoholism. She was a shell of herself. She, she started our family healing from the effects of the disease of alcoholism in 1987 when she joined Al-Anon. She was the first person in our family to start looking and working the 12 steps on the family of the disease of alcoholism. Um, I saw her wandering around her house, talking to herself, mumbling incoherently, and she couldn't feed herself or take her medications as prescribed. So what was I to do? What was the, my best plan to lovingly take care of my mom? It, right thinking. It was right thinking that I learned from this letter. Um, I wanted to show her, my mom grew up with two alcoholic parents and my father was a raging alcoholic. I wanted to show her kindness, love, and respect with every interaction. For the last 82 years, she'd experienced the opposite of kindness, love, and respect um, from her parents and my father. And I wanted to treat her to um, unselfishness, humility, kindness, patience, good temper, generosity, and, and sincerity. And above all, I wanted to practice what Dr. Wilth, Dr. Silkworth considered um, the religion of AA, love of my fellow child of God, love of my mom, and, and you know to be able to do that. And have I been perfect in that? No. But the AA ideal has gifted mom and me with the best possible scenario as we go through this um, stage of our lives together. Uh, I will say since January 7th, a lot has happened. And if it wasn't for the people in AA and Al-Anon, if it wasn't for what you guys taught me, um, especially two-way prayer, and that's, a, that's something that we got from the Oxford group, but especially spending quiet time in the morning with my higher power and asking for for help and asking for the answer, I would not, my head would have exploded by now. Um, and uh, anyway, I the, thank you, like Dr. Silkworth, for, for that idea of right thinking. So now I'm going to go back, um, back into letters, right? So I talked about how if um, somebody wanted to help from uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, they would write to this, this PO box in New York City. And I got to go up to New York City to our archives and, and ask and do some research for a week recently, a couple years ago. And um, they have a folder that's the first letters from alcoholics to from North Carolina to the general service office. And each one of these uh, people has their own spiritual journey and their, their own story behind them. But the first letter came um, in 1940 from somebody uh, at a hotel in Andrews, North Carolina, and he didn't even live in North Carolina, but he wrote and, and said that he had read something about Alcoholics Anonymous and he wanted help for his friends. Um, in 1941, we got letters uh, coming from Charlotte, um, from uh, Wilmington, and then um, Laurenburg, North Carolina. And, and all of these people that are writing are asking for help for someone that they love. So the, the first person that read to, uh, wrote from Laurenburg, North Carolina, uh, bought a copy of the big book for her, her husband, W.B. W. McLean, and he became a really uh, big part of um, AA in, in Charlotte and the history of AA in Charlotte. But the one that really got me, and I, and I, and I looked up this woman, um, her name was Ann H. Um, Hennessy, and she's from Morganton, which is by the mountains. Um, so it's 1942. Um, she writes to Alcoholics Anonymous for help. And she said, what do I do? Who can help me? And they say, um, we're glad you wrote to us, but the closest AA meeting is in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I'm sorry we can't give you anybody to help you. We can give you these pamphlets and things, but we can't give anybody to help you. And she wrote back and like, I'm going to die. I, I'm going to die. If you guys don't help me, if I don't get help through this, I'm going to die. And then we don't see any more letters from Ann Hennessy. 
Um, but what I did was um, I have some genealogy software. So I looked up Anne with my genealogy software. And she did go on to have three children and have some sort of life. I don't know if she ever got sober or not, but she didn't, we didn't lose her to alcoholism you know, at that point in time. She did have a pretty long life. Um, now, how did AA start in North Carolina? We, uh, our first meeting uh, was in Shelby, North Carolina, which is kind of between Charlotte and Asheville. Um, and it was a, a gentleman um, named uh, Thomas Mitchell, Dr. Mitchell. And he was actually a morphine addict. And he was in um, a rehab facility. He was in a rehab facility in Kentucky. And they had a copy of the big book and the manuscript. And he read it. And for two years, from what he read in the first 164 pages, he stayed sober. And when he got back home, um, he saw an article in, in, um, in a magazine. And he wrote and said, hey, I've been sober for two years. Um, and I read your book when I was in rehab. Can you send me a copy of it? And so um, he refers to excerpts from the big book and asks for a copy from GSO. GSO responds. So on 7-28-1940, or so, so July 28, 1940, he writes his first letter to GSO, asks for a copy of the big book. Been sober for two years. Um, July 31st. Uh, a couple days later, GSO responds, there's no groups in AA. The closest is in Richmond, Virginia. And they encourage Tom to start a meeting, uh, AA group in Shelby. Um, Tom tells them that there are like 600 who have recovered using AA. Or they tell Tom that. And in September, Tom writes back, asks for pamphlets. And then um, later in September, um, GSO writes back, and they want to know more about his drug addiction. So, you know, we, we talk about our primary purpose, and there's a lot of people that will argue about, you know, um, not talking about drugs in AA meetings, and I get that, you know? But even back then, they're, they're seeing or trying to figure out if um, our 12 steps are gonna help people that are affected with other things other than alcohol. So they write back, and they're very interested in his path from drug addiction, did the principles of AA allow him to, to be clean, fast, or slow? This, the vernacular back then is pretty, pretty interesting too. Others approach GSO, and they've been keen to help them with details Dr. Mitchell provides them. She tells him that there are over 1,000 who have recovered using AA. Now, this is like 1940. Um, and then uh, Tom writes GSO, a, a lady named Ruth Hawk, tells him that and, and tells them he thinks that the principles of the book could work on people addicted to drugs, just like it did for people affected, addicted to alcohol. Um, Tom was raised uh, in Pennsylvania by a doctor and a mother. Um, he had a good childhood. He talks of a 10-year addiction to morphine. Um, and how he contemplated suicide and ended up in Lexington, and he kind of goes through his um, his thing. So, Tom, uh, they they do that same thing. Hey, Tom, you're the first person from North Carolina. Can we start a group? He does, and people start going to, to AA groups uh, in in Shelby. Uh, now I'm going to fast forward to. There's a lot more that I can read, but there there's a guy, a new guy shows up from New York. He's from Scotland, um, and his name is David Ray. And, and he shows up, and he's a boiler inspector. So a boiler inspector, what's that, right? It's uh, back then, our, the heating of all of our buildings, like a church or a school or any business, in some homes had these boilers in them that uh, were steam, basically steam engines that they used to heat their houses with. And they, just like we had like a pandemic of, uh, of alcoholism, there was also all the, the, a lot of explosions, people dying from boiler explosions. So they had boiler inspectors. Dave Ray was a boiler inspector. Um, why is that important? He would go all over the state of South Carolina and North Carolina inspecting um, boilers to make sure that um, 
they were in good working order. What he also did, when he got down here, um, he said, this is one of his letter to GSO in 1942, um, his sponsor in New York, Dougal, McDougal, worked on this Scotsman, feel, mu feel much must be done by me to square the debt of AA to me. So many helped find gang and Shelby. Um, and then he writes back and says, will you write this other guy and tell him about Our Lady Rummies? Uh, tell, tell him about um, your near ripes so I can contact them. Tell me about your near ripes so I can contact them. He knows, like Bill did, that if he wants to stay sober, he has to work with other people. So he's asking GSO to write to him and tell him all the different people that have been writing from North Carolina and South Carolina. So when he goes and do, does his boiler inspection in that city, um, he can call those people ahead of time, and he can meet with them, he can tell them about the solution, and he can try to get them um, to start a, a meeting. Um, he talks about how AA causes, and I, I'm sorry, this is not, like, not proper English, AA causes me to release all things I carried around and did not use. AA gets new groups starting 12 miles from Shelby this week, Kings Mountain. Um, he said, I've forgotten the name of it. The town has three or more fellows uh, who want to get well. Charlotte will have a group soon. Sincerely yours, Dave Ray. Um, and, and then they ask, they write him back and say we would be the referral to the city of Charlotte. He says yes. Um, he writes, one of the things he writes back is that the Southern is much more touchy to work with. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was funny too. Um, then he writes about these drunks have much more empty pride and must sandbag them with sugar bag and sweet talk them into it. It's all foreign to me, but it helps me. No matter how many I talk to, if they are not ready, that's it, that's their hard luck. And I've got to practice. Um, I've got to practice, and I've had to practice. Most of them would not make good AAs anyway. <laughs> They're wishbone instead of backbone. Maybe, maybe when we get going, we can contact them again. Um, hey, we can we can weep on some someone's shoulder, but we must have more shoulders for them to weep on. But I got some tough ones. Uh, Dr. Bland, ex-mayor of Charlotte, is 70 years old, but he is strong and he's trying to get well. His son is in the right way to be well. Tom Mitchell says, let the old man have a drink of beer until he gets him to Shelby and treats him. Um, then Dave Ray goes on. He sends, sends them, asks them to send me the names so he, can get, so he can get to them. Send names from North Carolina, South Carolina, and I will get to them. I will go to South Carolina, then Asheville, so, you can, uh, so we can contact... So we can be, so we can create a contact for AA in most all small cities, and I'll be proud to do it. Um, he closes this letter with, "We uh, will soon have a group of AA in Charlotte." As they say in Scotland, "We must creep before we walk." We are creeping now, soon to walk. Um, Reverend Spa, another very interesting character in Charlotte AA history, is slow on AA, but means it. Busy on his own job, I haven't, uh, but I haven't waited for him. We all need each other, and AA group can do fine here. And that, that was in 1940. Um, so David Ray went on to, I don't have a lot of time, but David Ray went on to spread AA in North Carolina and South Carolina. Even the guys that worked for him, as Borland, he was the manager of a team of Borland inspectors, they weren't even drunks, but they got so excited about AA because he was so excited about it, they would go to different cities and talk to people and help them uh, with the AA solution. Um, 
I'm gonna. I'm just gonna end with um, a couple, uh, a couple quotes about why um, other people think that our history is important. One is a quote um, attributed to Carl Sandburg. Um, and think about this from your own personal spiritual journey, your own history, and think about it also as our collective AA as a whole's history. But whenever a society or civilization declines or perishes, there's always one condition present. They forgot where they came from. Then Bill Wilson wrote, there's both a need and an obligation to save the history of our fellowship within our area. To be preserved for present and future generations, it's highly important that the factual material be placed in our files in such a way that there can be no substantial distortion. Um, And the last thing I'm going to talk about, um, and then I'll be done, um, is a guy named Ernest Kurtz, and he wrote a history book before um, the writing of the big book, and it's called Not God. And it's God, not God. That's that's what that means, right? It's not that he had a hard time with God. It's like God and I'm not God. And it's a really really good uh, history book. The other book that I, I really have enjoyed, it's called The Soul of Sponsorship. And it's, it's about, and it's, again, letters. But it's about the relationship between um, Bill Wilson, and who I think was his sponsor, uh, not Ebby Thatcher, um, Father Ed Dowling, a man, uh, a, a priest from St. Louis. And he and Bill... Uh, would write back and forth. When Bill was writing the 12 and 12, he wrote, uh, gave his chapters to Father Ed Dowling and got um, him to look at them and discern whether or not, um, you know, whether or not they were good enough to be in the 12 and 12. One of the interesting things in here is Bill um, wrote to Father Ed Dowling one time and said, hey, I wrote this chapter. I was channeling uh, somebody from the 12th century um, and uh, Father Ed Dowling wrote him back. He's like, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't tell anybody that you were <laughs> channeling a spirit from somewhere else to, like, to write this book. Um, but the last thing, okay, so Ernest Kurtz, the, the guy who wrote Not God, right, the historian, he asks, and this is how he ended a lot of his talks before he died, when he was talking about history, how long will AA last? So how long will what we have together tonight on Tuesdays and Thursdays this group, how long will AA last in Area 15? How long will it last? Right? His answer was, so long as somewhere when a sober alcoholic meets another alcoholic, drinking or sober, and sees in that person, first and foremost, that he or she, sorry, not that he or she is black or white or male or female or Baptist or Catholic or Jew or gay or straight or whatever, but sees rather another alcoholic to whom he or she must reach out to for the sake of his or, own, um, his or her own sobriety. So long, in other words, as one alcoholic recognizes in another alcoholic, first and foremost, that he or she is alcoholic, and therefore both of them need each other, there will not only, uh, there will not only need each other, there will, not, there will be not only an Alcoholics Anonymous, but there will be Alcoholics Anonymous that you and I love so much and respect so deeply. The more profound answer is that alcoholics, once they have tasted sobriety, try to hang on to it, and therefore the Alcoholics Anonymous, and and therefore Alcoholics Anonymous. To the way of life encapsulated in the 12 steps and protected by the 12 traditions and extended through the 12 concepts, because all institutions degenerate, it's conceivable that individuals who call themselves Alcoholics Anonymous might someday ignore service. They might violate tradition and scorn the steps, or worse, accord them only lip service. But should that happen, I'm confident that somewhere, perhaps under a battered bridge or in a dinghy alcove, some alcoholic trying to stay sober will sidle up to some other alcoholic 
who may or may not even be drinking and say, hey, buddy, you must be awfully thirsty, but let me tell you how it was with me and how I used to need to drink. And at that moment, an AA meeting will begin and the story of Alcoholics Anonymous will continue and nothing I or you might do can destroy that. And for that, I am, as you are, profoundly grateful. Um, thanks, thanks for letting me be here tonight. I appreciate it.